Sustainability is a highly contested term. And as we are surrounded by greenwashing, it can be confusing for anyone in the industry and our customers to understand exactly what is and is not a sustainable investment. But luckily, the sentiments underpinning sustainability are not only becoming more and more important to us all, they can be a real catalyst for innovation and a creative care in jewelry brands. One jewelry designer and maker has focused on sustainability, both through incorporating sustainable practices and more subtly by leaving and in some cases highlighting the maker's processes in her pieces. When a customer buys something handmade with care and passion, it inspires their care, counteracting both the aesthetics and the all too prevalent fast fashion behaviours. For the BAJ podcast today, I'm excited to welcome a jewellery designer with a clear sustainability vision and style, Sean Evans. Welcome, Sean. Thank you very much, Sophie. So Sean, to start, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Okay, so I am not a young jeweller, uh, so I've had a, I've had a lot of practice at being a jeweller now. Uh, I gra- I graduated uh, in 1986, and I moved to London to study from Dorset. So uh, I spent from eight to eighteen in Dorset, being kind of surrounded by the Jurassic Coast and lots and lots of archaeology. After after college, uh, after my BA, I set up my jewellery company almost immediately and uh, started uh, in Spitalfields in a derelict building with some friends. And within a few months was making jewellery and, and trying to get collections together. Uh, and from then, uh, I haven't stopped, basically. I was in my first studio in Spitalfields for 11 years and uh, grew my brand, I suppose it was it was then, and sold internationally, moved to Clerkenwell. I was in Clerkenwell for 21 years. And during that time, I was selling internationally again, silver designer collections and working in collaboration with people. And then in 2001, I uh, took a post at Central St. Martins and uh, worked at Central St. Martins for 13, 14 years. So in 2014, I then went back to my practice full time and that's what I've been doing ever since. And then what made you decide to become a jeweler and how did you then sort of gain all the skills that you need to be a jeweler? Uh, I was, I was, really interested in archaeology and a bit of a nerd but at the same time I was really interested in fashion and music and I made all my own clothes and I loved body adornment but I also because I was interested in archaeology I was interested in the history of body adornment and worked on archaeological sites and was also fascinated by how the things that I saw that I dug up and the things and artifacts that I saw in museums, how they were made. So when I was a student, I was trying to use processes then that had some kind of 
historical context to them, which many jewellery processes do because they haven't actually really changed very much. But I was very aware of, you know, old ways of doing things because I'd been to too many museums as a child. I, my, my dad's an artist. Um, so there was a lot of art history in the household, a lot of context for fine art practice, lots of thinking about that, lots of opportunities to draw, also, also lots of engineers in my family. So I think I've in, in, inherited a kind of engineering, problem-solving brain. So I think that that context of fashion, music, engineering, processes, and uh, an artistic background all kind of almost set me up for being a, a jeweller, really. You head up your own company under your own name. Could you tell us a little bit more about this brand that you established and why you decided to start your own business? Um, well, I graduated in 1986, as you say, as as a, a designer maker. My my course was was at Sir John Cass, and it was it was called BA Jewelry, Silversmithing, and Allied Crafts, and. Actually, a lot of the staff at the cast at that time were really fantastic goldsmiths and silversmiths, and they gave they gave the you know their time very willingly. So I learned really how to be a goldsmith and a silversmith, and that the design bit there wasn't actually that much of it. So that 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 gave me a really good starting point. But my early my early collections were really I, what I wanted to do was to set up a little company which was fashion forward and show my twice yearly collections like a fashion designer at London Fashion Week. I had a vision that I wanted to sell my work alongside Vivian Westwood and Catherine Hamnett in the same kinds of shops. And my course hadn't given me any groundwork or any anything that would help me understand how to do that. So that's what I learned to do was was to um, there, there were very few companies like mine around at the time there weren't opportunities but I had a very good grounding in making and I think because of my artistic background and my interest in fashion and I was very interested in followed fashion uh, that I could I could find the context for that and do it and I'm extremely tenacious so so putting together putting together a collection and then before the internet, before computers virtually, getting it out there and doing the legwork, drawing my own catalogues, you know, doing all of this kind of groundwork behind the scene and literally turning up to the best shops with my box of, of, of goodies and not going away until I got an answer. Really tenacious. When I got when I got my first studio, it was super cheap. Like I say, it was almost derelict. Can you believe Spitalfields being derelict? But it was. So it was super cheap. And I rented out extra space to my friends. So I virtually paid nothing. And I had a tiny grant at that time from the government, uh, a setting up grant, which sustained me. So my, my overheads were super, super low. Um, so I could do what I wanted to do full time just with a little bit of what you called outwork from a couple of companies. So I filed up castings and, you know, did very mundane sort of jewellery making bits and bobs, but it allowed me to, to work full time. So I've never been, part, or at least at that time, was never part time. Mm -hmm. I just went for it, um, which would be very difficult to do now. So keeping your overheads low and 
of finding some some work that you can do in your own space so you don't actually have to go out to work was 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 um, was important for me so I was always in my studio your work the things that you make as part of your business often feature as you describe yourself the mark of the maker's hand and time and you've visibly have a really great interest in jewelry technologies and archaeology as you mentioned could you tell us about your inspiration and how that translates into your work yeah well I've always been interested in having um I, I guess a little bit of a control freak so when when I when I was a, a younger jeweler and and doing my fashion fashion collections which were in silver by the way they weren't in plastic or anything like that 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 I wanted my work to look like my work and I employed people in my studio to to help me make my collection so it was all done in house i never sent things off or very very rarely sent things off to be done because i didn't like that because when they came back from somewhere else they didn't look like my work they were too shiny or you know the the edges had been rounded off and it just the the language of my my way of working was lost so so that has always been a part of my practice is 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 to do everything and again the that control freaky thing of to do everything you have to learn loads and loads of techniques so I've been a kind of collector of techniques mainly old school goldsmithing techniques some silversmithing techniques things that will help me make work that looks like my work and it's handmade so it's a bit wonky it's, it was it was It was never important to me to make work that looked like a machine had made it. Because mm -hmm. I think one of the things that some jewelers aspire to is, is perfection, that idea of perfection, which uh, now is, yeah, is enabled very easily using CAD programs and rapid prototyping. So actually that's a much more easier thing to do as long as you're a good CAD designer, making perfection is really easy and actually fabricating work is much harder so it's important for me that people can see that they're handmade and you do that by not making them totally perfect so each piece I'd make is slightly different even if it's the same design even if it's the same design somebody's getting a unique piece you also mentioned time because techniques like you are explaining them to me are also about not rushing necessarily to get it not perfect but right well um yes the, the the rightness in my work is the wrongness in some other people's work I guess I really enjoy making things and uh get lost in in making yes and it's it's sometimes sometimes when you're making something you know it's something that maybe a little bit a little bit wonky and I'll choose to maybe remove that if it's wonky in the wrong way or, or keep it because it's beautiful. I'm, I'm very interested in the, the in process marks, the, the marks that processes leave behind that tell, tell you perhaps a little bit about how it's been made. And those can be beautiful, especially I think in casting. I use, I use several kind of very ancient types of casting, which allows that. I mean, I could be a medieval goldsmith, you know, it's kind of that, that kind of uh, care and attention and sort of willful disregard for 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 um 
modernity. <laughs> and so sustainability is something you value greatly. What sustainable practices have you introduced into your brand and the business? The, that, that idea of doing everything yourself makes my practice completely visible. I, I use only recycled metals and a lot of those metals I recycle myself. It's not like I go to a bullion dealer and buy their recycled metal. I'm doing that myself by encouraging my customers to bring broken bits and bobs to me, which I then melt down and I'll clean the alloy a bit and, um, you know, make sure that it, it it's a, a nice coloured alloy. Um, and the same with stones. Lots of people have got rings that have got stones missing. And they don't know what to do with them or, you know, they've got one earring left out of a pair. So I take those stones sometimes as a swap or sometimes I'll make something for that client from those. So this this removes sort of any necessity from any mining. Mining is a is a problem. I I, I did a geology A-level because I was on the Jurassic Coast in Weymouth being as as a young thing being brought up so I was always very aware of where where materials come from and it was something that dawned on me when while I was teaching at Central St Martins is my students didn't know where things came from so a, a lot of my practice is about this storytelling about where things come from and what is sustainable and what sustainability means to me and so that idea of knowing where your materials come from that they 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 were they may have been mined hundreds of years ago of course they have been mined but in 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 using them again you haven't caused uh, any more environmental degradation it's all kept in the studio and the amount of energy that i use recycling my gold is much less than uh, an industrial recycler and it's been done in my studio it hasn't had to travel to, to Europe to be refined and then be sent back. It's just, it's in my studio. So, I mean, that's mainly what I do now is I work in gold and old stones. And uh, additionally to that, as a, as a form of storytelling again, which reveals something more about mining and especially stones is that I now use Scottish pebbles and carve them. Now it sounds very low, sort of sort of low levels I carve Scottish pebbles but there's a huge history of uh, Scottish pebble jewellery and they're not actually really pebbles they're beautiful agates and beautiful jaspers which uh, occur in abundance in, in Scotland and they're collected for me by geologists and I carve them again in my studio during lockdown I, uh, I, I, I set myself a project to up my lapidary skills I was actually taught um, stone carving in 2006 by the marvellous Charlotte de Silas, and I'm back with her studying more at the moment. But yeah, it's 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 very old school. A lot of it is grinding um, and polishing with sticks. So again, it's really sustainable. You don't use much energy. You use, maybe I eat more because I have to power my arms a bit more. It's, it reminds me of sort of the thinking of urban mining as well, where you yeah. use what you can find, whether that is through people's in people's houses or um, perhaps close by in, in, in nature. And has it changed your approach? If people come to you with the material, you haven't had an, a design idea in advance and gone and sourced the materials. The materials become perhaps stimuli for what you can create. I have ways of working 
you know, that are definitely, um, you could identify them as my aesthetic. So when people bring me their materials, they're, they're coming to that mainly. Sometimes people will want me to do something that's very unlike what I do normally, but most of the time it's very much a Sean Evans kind of way of working. So that that's a, that's that's often a dialogue that I have with 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 people that come to me. Um, at the moment, uh, my my focus is quite is, is and especially because I'm on a, a residency in West Somerset to stone carve. It's very much uh, on um, developing shapes with with stones that I've collected to add more to to a collection that I'm currently developing. So yeah, it's more of what's I, what I call tannis stone collection so sort of yes and no thinking about sustainability in the industry are there any changes you would like to see materialized in the near future so we have a more sustainable industry more broadly speaking um yes i i just wish people would stop buying things you know and mm. if they are going to buy something really really consider it rather than throw away things we, d- we hardly need any stuff. And if, if you are going to buy a piece of jewellery, make sure it's worth it. Our, our customers um, are becoming a little bit more aware through, through other industries, through, through fashion industry problems and through food industry problems, which we're getting highlighted more. That I mean, you know, if, you are, if you're going to buy a piece of jewellery, make sure that you, you know a, a bit about it and maybe save up for it so you're not buying crap. Do any sort of starting jewellers listening, do you have any sort of top tips to become more sustainable perhaps from the get-go and how could they contribute to a more sustainable industry? Well, I, I think I think we, we will become more sustainable if we can tell very good stories about our work and having very sound reasons for doing it in the first place. Again, you know, if you haven't, if you haven't got good reasons for, for doing your work, you're likely to be a terrible designer, you know, and the work is likely to be awful. So, so that having that really good grounding in research and, and analysis and taking the time to, to, to really create good work that is original and that people will cherish that's sound advice your designs are all handmade was that a decision we've sort of touched upon it before but that you really consciously make and how important is then the craftsmanship of that making in all of the pieces and the aesthetic of the of your work it, uh, the the hand the hand making uh, comes really from my control freakiness about where things come from and who's who's doing what to what in order that I can control and uh, what's going on and that it's traceable. Uh, plus the fact that I love making things, obviously. Yeah, so it's, it's about it's about that uh, that uh, traceability from source to the customer. You are very active in the industry, exhibiting your work widely and promoting your work also creatively through social media. What do you feel these sort of two channels of communication and dissemination provide you and your brand 
And are there perhaps more that you think are very important? Oh, uh, well, I, I I live by my work. It's it's my income. So I I am active on in different media so that people can see it. So if 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 it's hidden, if it's if it's not out there, then then I'm not going to communicate to to people who want to have a piece of my work in their collections. So I I yeah that's uh, that's an important way of 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 existing. It's having a successful practice is actually speaking through social media to to your customers, your potential customers. And is your strategy with social media to communicate the work or also encourage people to come and see it in person? Because a lot of your work is so beautiful when you hold it in your hands and you can see the light. Um, well, jewellery is made to be worn. So it's made to be touched and felt. Yes, um, social media helps a lot because you can get a good idea. But I'm using it so that people will want to come and see me. Yes, you know it's 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 kind of fundamental. If I'm not if I'm not talking about my work and and storytelling and telling the uh, the, the the or, or handing over the information that that uh, sort of um, is the basis of what of what I do, then yeah, people won't want to come and see it. it you know, it's all it's all it's all part of the whole thing. What designs and shows, you've mentioned that you're on a residency at the moment, but what things are you currently working on that we could look forward to discovering in the near future? Uh, well, I've, I've, had a, I've had a great couple of years. I've, I've won a couple of awards for my stone carving, even though I'm a rookie. One of them was uh, uh, from the, uh, the Goldsmiths Design Crafts Council, um, and that spurred me on to, to take uh, my lapidary work more seriously and I went on to be awarded a quest a Queen Elizabeth Scholarship Trust Award uh, to study cameo and taglio carving so I'm working on a whole new body of work which again is, is about storytelling which hopefully I'll have enough of <laughs> to to reveal at, at the Goldsmiths Fair at the end of September and uh, at Elements Festival of Gold and Silver in Edinburgh in October. So that's kind of why I'm on my residency, to try and concentrate on some stone carving without all of the kind of clutter that I have in my London studio. Our world is facing a range of challenges and sustainable practices and mindsets are of the utmost importance for anyone producing, even when it is artistic objects that will hopefully be cherished for many generations to come. Jewelry designer makers like Sean approach the multifaceted topic with care, setting a clear example that it can be done and celebrated. Thank you, Sean, for your time, sketching out your inspirational journey to date and for joining me for the BAJ podcast. We are super grateful for your efforts and input. Thank you very much, Sophie. Next month, I'll be joined by another guest, so watch this space to find out who it is. But for now, this was Sophie Boons for the BAJ podcast episode titled The Sustainable Touch with Sean Evans. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.